Hello, everyone, again. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. The PK Podcast is a weekly conversation. I say weekly, and I have to interject, as weekly as we can make it. If you've noticed, every now and then we have a brief hiatus, but we do come back, and that's because we're all busy running businesses, and we just do this, as the kids would say, as a side gig. So the PK Podcast, though, uh, is a weekly conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights in the promotional products business. Uh, My name is Bobby Lee Hugh. I'm here, as always, with my friend and co-host, Mark Graham, who's up in Toronto. Is it cold, Mark? Uh, no, not bad. Not today. bad. Quite, Good. Quite nice. Quite Good. nice. Thank you. Uh, and we are honored to have with us today Chuck Fandos. Chuck, did I pronounce that last name right? You sure did, Bobby. Awesome. Chuck is the CEO. Of, Chuck probably needs no introduction to, to our listeners, but uh, Chuck is the CEO of Facilis Group and the CEO of Gateway CDI. Chuck, uh, you guys ran your distributorship ran ran around thirty eight million. Oh, is that or, or last year, thirty six, somewhere around there? Uh, yeah, the yeah, low to mid thirties. Okay, and I noticed uh, from from two thousand nine two thousand ten, you guys grew fourteen percent. And if if you're familiar with Chuck's name, you've probably seen him. He's been honored uh, in many of the industry uh, magazines, such as the Power Fifty and the Hot List. Um, and so, anyways, Chuck, welcome to the podcast. Thank we you. We are Thank definitely you. not worthy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel the same way. I, I'm excited about this. I feel younger just talking to you. <laughs> well, and you know, uh, Chuck, it's funny. He got he gets on the call and he's firing off an RFP. I won't say to, to who, but he's firing off an RFP. RFP. The guys, you've got to be incredibly busy, Chuck. You're, you're CEO of two growing organizations, and you've been at this since, what, 1988? Yep. Yeah, I've been at it for a while. But I actually love uh, having two jobs, so to speak. They kind of I use my brain in a different way. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been doing Gateway for 25 years and Facilis is, it's not a startup, but it feels like a startup and it's, you know, it's just different. And I, I really enjoy both of them and I think they both make me better on on the other side, so to speak. So I, I love it. That's great. You know, wh- what's cool about today's conversation is that we're in the middle of a Tech Meets promo podcast. And um, right after this, we're going to have a new podcast series called The Distributor's DNA, where we're talking to various distributors about what makes them unique, because I know a lot of people think we're the same, and we all are not the same. Uh, so what's cool about having you today is that you you can talk to both uh, the tech side as well as to the uniqueness of, of distributorship. So let's just launch on in. Mark, do you want to start with any questions? Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm interested, Chuck, about the comment that you made about running a distributorship, then also running a service provider, how do you manage those two different worlds? Because they've 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 obviously come with very different stresses and demands. And can you talk about the complementary relationship that you have between the two? Yeah, it's funny, Mark, that you mentioned that. Uh, Paul Bellantone was in yesterday, just in St. Louis, and in for a visit, and. He kind of asked the exact same question as he was scratching his head. Um, I, I think what's really interesting about it is um, from the facilis side as a service provider, being in the industry for a long time, um, having the challenges that all other distributors have on a day-to-day basis makes me and makes facilis better in that we understand it. We're not just selling a business solution or software that 
we don't use every day and and we know those challenges right. so I, I guess that would be my answer but you're it, it, no i think that's a I, I think that's a great answer I mean, at the end of the day you're you you you're, you're intimately aware of the challenges that we all face as distributors it's a strange business so it's that that's an interesting response it, it, it's a very strange business and and paul's question was more well, does that cause you problems as you're trying to sell as a service provider to people that you compete with? And maybe that was more your question and you were less blunt than Paul was about it. I'm not sure. Um, but it's uh, it's interesting. I, I think that uh, we're a very small community and, and as organizations and people, you only have one reputation. And if you if you stick to your word and you have integrity, then people respect that and uh, they respect the benefits of that, not the negativity or the negatives of that. Yeah, yeah. Chuck, did uh, Gateway grew out of, uh, uh, Facilis actually grew out of Gateway, CDI, I'm assuming? Uh, no. Um, actually, I, I'm kind of the late party to Facilis. Facilis was started in around 2000 by a Canadian distributor, Dan Rochette, lives in Ottawa, Canada and uh, has a distributorship there called Promo Media. And uh, Dan started it, and just going way back when, you know, Dan was a techie and still is a techie, and said, wow, as a distributor, you know, I've, I've got to use accounting packages, i got to use CRM packages, i got to have database of product packages, i got to process my orders. Wouldn't it be easier if everything was just in one system and he began building it, and it's been built and changed and improved over time. And I think he's a real visionary with with what he does. So we've got a you know promo media in Ottawa using Facilis and Gateway CDI in St. Louis. So on both sides of the border, we kind of have beta testers, guinea pigs, whatever you want to call them. And I think it makes us better every day. And then we have a third partner, Martin Weber, who's also based in Ottawa. Right. Go ahead, Mark. No, no, sorry. I was uh, getting a little bit of robot feedback there. Um, I, I wanted to jump into uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about social media. And I'm, I'm really interested, Chuck, in your business, uh, switching gears from Silas just here for a second, a business. How, you know, you got into the business 25 years ago, and I'm sure that you've seen huge shifts in how you relate to your customers and how you relate to employees. And I specifically want to know how social media has either hurt or helped your business at CDI, which is more focused on the traditional um, uh, fulfillment programs for very large traditional companies. Social media played a factor in, in the last little while? Um, I, I think social media plays um, a factor Definitely from a certainly from a sales point of view, uh, more on the dropship side um, right. of what we are doing. Right. Uh, social media is a great way to build and maintain relationships and your network. And when customers don't answer phone calls anymore, don't read emails, you better be texting, tweeting, and using Facebook to get in front of them. It, it doesn't replace the face-to-face -face relationships, but I think social media yeah. is a great tool to communicate with people who literally 
don't check voicemail for weeks on end is is my opinion right right yeah, chuck what is what percentage of program business is, is gateway cdi uh do, do you parse that dropship versus uh, say your fulfillment side yeah we're, we're probably about 75 percent program business 25 percent dropship business right and that is, um, you know, we're obviously a much smaller and, and our focus is on program business as well. Um, so I'm curious about some tips. I mean, you've been at this a while and you guys have built such a successful brand. Um, what about, uh, there's other distributors, and I know of one right now, he's actually in our mentor, mentee network, um, who is uh, looking at a program for a prospect, what advice do you have for distributors who are doing program business? Kind of some warnings, watch out, pitfalls, um, opportunities. Yeah, I, I think that um, people certainly oversimplify it, and they think, "How hard is it to take a coffee mug and put it in a box and ship it out?" <laughs> right. um, you know, so I think you've got to if if you choose to move in the direction of program business. You better think it through. Um, first of all, you better have a good contract with a safety net from an inventory point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, you you better realize that not any business or not all business is good business. Yes. <laughs> um, you better have a different compensation level from a sales point of view for sure uh, for program than you do for dropship. And you got to think about what happens if. The client changes their logo or moves on. What what do we do with inventory? And these programs are are like a big circle, and and you better walk all the way around that circle. And people just jump at it. And a salesperson might say, "Well, gee, it's it's a twenty thousand dollar program. It's got to be a good deal." Well, who's going to answer the phone? How are you going to set up a website? Who's paying for inventory? Right. How do you ship it? You know all those things that. There's just a lot of detail, and we've learned by making a lot of mistakes <laughs> and costly mistakes. And it's like yeah. touching the stove four thousand times. Right, you finally learn. Yeah, it, um, it, program business is so different than our transactional based dropship selling in the industry. I mean, the, the cycles are long, um, and, and the details. And I, when folks ask me what's a good program, I always say it depends. It depends. It always depends on the details, and there are a lot of details. It's actually part of the reason why I enjoy them so much. They do really force you to think hard about every aspect of handling that program. Um, so, what do you? We're going to shift to the Distributors DNA podcast series here soon, and obviously, program business is a part of your DNA. What do you think makes a successful distributorship? You've been at this a while. Um, you've probably got some great advice for us. Um, I think a successful distributor first starts with a lot of energy and a lot of empathy. Um, you got to have a lot of energy in what you're doing and realize that you're on stage with the people that work for you, your customers, etc. Yeah. And at the same time, you got to have empathy for your customers uh, and your employees or people you work with and, and use that golden rule. And if you have that, you, you've got a good shot. You've also got to be a little nerdy in that you like coffee mugs and back scratchers and right. polo shirts and things like that. I think it's a great model and I think it's a it's a very fun model. I mean, I don't mean to break it to anybody, but we're not solving world hunger in our industry. Right. right. But, you know, there's a lot of type A personalities from clients to people we work with in the industry and it's fun and if you're intelligent and strategic about it and you work hard, you can make a decent living. 
Yeah. What percentage of business do you actually land? This, this is a random question. Land uh, with your RFP uh, uh, process with the RFP process. I mean, you, mm-hmm. is, 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 is it rare? You mean what's our success rate? Yeah. Boy, uh, it, it just depends. I mean, first of all, if I, I would say if you don't have a relationship going in and you mm-hmm. get a piece of paper that's an RFP and you're one of 25, right. you've, you've got a very, very, very low relationship. We, we try and get it into a one in four um, situation that we have a relationship going in. Uh, and, and then we think we got maybe a 25% shot at it. Um, but you, you also... Couple things to realize as you go after RFPs. One, somebody's going to win the business, and two, don't just fall in love with hearing the word "yes." They want me, and lose your shirt by doing that. Right, right. No pun intended. Right, exactly. There's a, there's a lot of horror stories on uh, with program business. On uh, speaking, and feel free to say, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to answer the details on that one. But when you guys do program business, I know one of the big mistakes I see distributors make is they look at a gross sales number with an opportunity, and that's all they can think about instead of thinking of the gross profit or even the net profit, uh, because there's a lot of little work that goes into these programs. Do you guys uh, find it a challenge charging clients for a lot of the additional? type of work that you do, whether it's storage or kitting or anything like that? Is that a challenge or you guys don't have a problem with that? No, no, uh, we don't have a problem anymore, but I, you know, I've been in this for 20 plus years. And when you first start, I think as a distributor, you feel guilty in some weird way, you feel guilty charging people for the value that you're providing and you tend to give things away. Yeah. Um, and the top line means the most to you. Then you reach a point maybe after 5, 10, 15 years where the bottom line becomes more and more important. <laughs> right. And then you start looking about, well, gee, we're holding all that stuff for them and we kid it. We need to charge them for it. And we've learned that the hard way. And now we're not afraid to look them in the eye and say, hey, we need to charge you for that. And it, it's a liberating feeling when you get to that point. But it's it's a crossroads of experience, confidence, competency, mojo, all those things. Yeah, and it's also a relief to find out that the client's happy. They're just thrilled they don't have yeah. to do it, and they've got a source that can handle it for them. Yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, we're there to make their lives easier, um, and that, that's not just giving them a product. That's solving a, a problem or providing a solution for them. Right. Um, so let's switch gears back to technology for a minute. Both of you guys, it's kind of interesting to me that you're both running distributorships and you're both involved in uh, a tech product. So um, what advice do you have for distributors and or suppliers when it comes to technology, Chuck? Um, boy. Uh, that's a general question. Sorry about that. that yeah, no, that's no. That's a tough I, one, Bobby. My God. I know. Yeah. Well, you know, approach when you approach technology from an operations standpoint, I often think of opportunity costs. And so I'm curious, you know, what you, you obviously have a lot of experience uh, with Facilis Group. What, what do you recommend distributors do when they're trying to uh, assess their own operating system or whether it's e-commerce? Yeah, I would say that um, – I think a lot of distributors now are looking around going, oh my goodness, technology is moving very fast and I'm, I'm behind. How do, how do I get caught up? And they, they determine that they need to find some new technology to 
help them really become better business people, more strategic and more profitable. A lot of distributors are in business um, and the distributor is the hardest working person there, the owner is, and they're spinning their wheels and they say, gee, there's got to be a better way. So if technology, in my mind, if they can find technology that organizes their thinking through better reporting, um, better metrics for them, and shows them another way to structure their company from a sales point of view all the way through billing, then I think that's the importance of technology to, to make their jobs easier and therefore more profitable. We've asked this question of our other guests. What is your take on e-commerce five years from now? Are you are we going to see the average customer of ours using shopping cart technology far more than they're doing it today? Or are we going to see just very gradual growth? What do you think? Um, I, I think the trends are that e-commerce and mobile devices are getting bigger, bigger, and bigger, and that that's a trend that is coming, and if you don't think it's coming, you're very naive, and that's a big topic we're going to talk about in New Orleans at the uh, PPAI and NALC, but you know, just read about what's going on with Best Buy right now. Yeah. If, if you don't think Amazon's cleaning their clock, um, we've got to think along those lines, but I'm also old school enough to recognize that relationships always will matter and yep. you, you know you got to have strong relationships but you got to use technology to help you with all aspects of it yeah i don't i don't think uh, it's an either or proposition right you know that uh sorry to jump in here I, this is a question we 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 asked uh dale denham the other day bobby uh but it feeds into what you just mentioned there chuck uh, so, so the question that i'm curious about is what tech trends are you most fearful of and or most excited about over the next three to five years as it relates to either Facilis or to Gateway? Um, I would say, I guess one of the tech trends that I'm a little uncertain about is what happens with You've kind of got Facebook and Apple on one side of the fence who technology seemed to work well together. And then the other side, you've got Google. You know, you've got Facebook and, and you've got Google Plus. And wh where is all that going and what platforms are people going to be using? And, you know, so there seems to be a, a, a fork in the road there. And, and that concerns me a little bit. I'm also concerned as an industry with everything is so much on people's handhelds. Are promotional products going to become electronic coupons and are people going to stop wanting plastic products and things like that? I don't know where all that's going. 3D printing is another area that I'm a little concerned about, yet I really believe in promotional products. So I love the technology and I guess maybe the thing that one Sorry, I'm rambling. But one of the things that scares me a little bit is the pace of technology now seems to be so fast. Who can keep up with everything going on? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I want to share a, a, a story uh, just quickly from, from my experience at Right Sleeve. And, you know, Chuck, you, you said something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, we were talking about relationships. So we, I'm sure 
like probably many distributors, including you guys, uh, will send handwritten notes to customers thanking them for their support or thanking them for an order or whatever the case may be. And we have a number of um, startup and technology, very, very technology-focused uh, uh, companies that work with us. And I uh, remember sending out this uh, handwritten note to say, hey, thanks for your order. It was wonderful. Thanks so much for your support and my bad chicken scratch. And it was, it was sent to a guy who probably spends 23 and a half hours on Facebook all day. And the guy got the message and was so excited about it that he took a photo of it and tweeted about it and said, <laughs> I have not received a handwritten note from anyone in the last 10 years. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it was like this wonderful merger of offline and online. And, you know, of course he tweeted it out to 2000 followers that he had. And um, I, I think the reason I, I say that is as fast as technology is moving and it, Twitter might be out of business next year and it'll be something else that I still think there's something really romantic about this relationship building um, experience that comes through face-to-face -face or through promotional products or handwritten notes, that real human connection. And um, I think that's what our business is all about. So I, I thought that was just an interesting thing that uh, serves to highlight the power of relationships and how it connects with technology. Yeah, I love that, Mark. And we use handwritten notes. And boy, I don't think a lot of people do. And and I I do think right now, and, and you know, within Facilis, for example, we do, you know, we, we do a lot of marketing and a lot of email marketing uh, through the, as part of the Facilis model. And, you yeah. know, we, we get really good responses and, and, and good things there. But, you know, the, the best real estate right now, and, you know, I know we're talking technology, the best real estate is the desktop, is a yeah. spec sample, is a handwritten yeah. note, is a lumpy package on, on the desktop. You and you yeah. want to get somebody's attention, hit their desktop today. That's right. It's funny you say that. I still say with all the social media hype, I've been saying, and I do this class on content, and that is the two loneliest places in the, in the business today are the email box, not so much the email box, but the, the mailbox. If you can yeah. get, it's now, in fact, because we've become so high tech, someone told me we've got to become high touch. And in a way, if you go back and revert to some of these uh, tactics or practices like the handwritten note, sending something clever through the mail, people have abandoned that so much so that now it's, it's uh, actually a little bit easier with a little creativity to get noticed. Yeah. Well, just think of it. So forget the handwritten note story. Uh, I, and I can speak um, probably more uh, accurately about about my experience at right sleeve that will we see promotional products that we have either supplied with our logo on it or clients logos all over facebook and twitter and it's we it's a real it, it's it's fascinating that people get something it, it, where if there's an emotional connection to the product they'll take a photo of it and they'll post it online and um it's 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 spectacular. I'm sure that you have the same experience, Chuck, at at, at your business as you, as well. Yeah, as you, no, too, it, it, and and certainly with our clients, you know, to be anywhere in the world and see somebody walk down the street wearing, you know, what one of our clients' shirts, it's it's really cool. And and you see the power of promotional products or any sporting event where they're shooting dollar fifty t-shirts out of a can and people are killing each other for them. Yeah. That's the power of promotional products. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's uh, one one question I had, Chuck. The bug search that you guys have—if people yep. don't know what I'm talking about—just Google Facilis 
uh, bug search. It's it's pretty cool. And it's one of those things what I, that I saw that I thought, wow, why why did it take so long for someone to come up with that? That's just brilliant. And uh, it, it, when distributors, we talk about technology and e-commerce a lot, but that's an actual simple tool that almost every distributor could try and uh, not copy, but mimic or, or you know, at practice because that's a good practice. And why don't you describe uh, the bug search for folks? Yeah, that, that's great, uh, Bobby. I know um, I'll talk to Dan Rochette tomorrow morning. He'll love it because we were, you know, as we redesigned the homepage for, you know, our, our Facilis uh, partners, you know, we said, let's not think the way we think in this industry, which is always, we, we always look at the world as, well, they're writing instruments, they're polo shirts, they're golf balls, they're uh, drinkware. Customers look at it as, gee, yeah. what's my budget? Yeah. What, what am I using it for? Trade show, uh, golf tournament, recruiting, years of service. And we said, let's give the customer what they want which is budget and how they're going to use it or usage. And then we were trying to think of a clever name for, all right, how do we redefine, what do we call that search? And Dan, who was great, goes, budget, usage, go. Oh, bug. And that's, that's how we <laughs> came up with the bug search. It's nice. Very nice. I love it. We we are kicking around. We're, we're in the midst of uh, redoing a lot of our online properties, and that's one of the what's actually been one of the corner pieces that we've been talking about. Is there's got to be, and it, it's obviously not called bug. It's nothing uh, like it, but that is more of a form type page. But you know, any distributor um, with a little bit of ingenuity online can develop a mobile page because well, that would be really cool if you're if you're sponsoring something and you have folks in the audience thinking, hey, I got to call them about that project. And all of a sudden they can launch right away, fill out a little form and send you the project. I think it's brilliant, by the way, the, the bug search well, is cool. Well, thank you. And uh, But I think that's part of that empathy too. Of think like the customer. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're going to have Tanya Allen Gould of Tag on, and the part of the, part of the main conversation will revolve around achieving our customers' objectives with promotional products. And I know Mark does this very well, but thinking more agency-like and less promo peddler-like. Yeah, we, we 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 think about products, and and customers think about campaigns. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know this. Uh, uh, You there, Mark? I lo- I'm I'm here. Okay, I think we just lost Mark for a minute. Yeah, he should be right back. He's been he's been texting me while we're chatting about our, our technical difficulties. So, if folks have hung in here this long, we've had some audio problems uh, along the way. Um, Chuck, you uh, speaking of the NALC uh, leadership conference. If folks don't know what that is, can you let folks know a little bit about that? Sure. Um, PPAI uh, does uh, every year a leadership conference it used to be called you still there bobby yes i am okay um it used to be called the president's forum and then about three or four years ago it changed to uh the the leadership conference and it's it's a group of distributors and suppliers who come together to really just talk about um what's going on in the industry what's going on outside the industry and I think it's a real thought-provoking event. And this year I'm on the committee, kind of the organizing committee. It's going to be in New Orleans. I think it's uh, August 10th to 12th. And uh, we're really going to talk about technology. We're going to talk about the future. and We're going to talk about leadership. 
And our goal is to be very provocative and push people outside of their comfort zone. How do I how do I look at my business? How do I look at the future? Just the conversation we were just having. How do we get people that are brand new in the industry with people that have been there for a number of years to come and share ideas? And I'm really looking forward to it. we got a great committee working on it. And if you haven't registered, I'd encourage you to go to PPI, PPAI's website and register. I think it'd be great. I have found through the years, this is my 20th year in the business, and I have found that uh, a conference like that is one of the best investments in your career and in your future. Because what's amazing to me is I can I can walk up to Chuck. I can walk up to Chuck Fandos and, and anyone that's far larger than ours and have a great conversation. It's a very friendly industry, and it's a great place to learn. One yeah. comment by somebody can really help your business. Yeah, I, I agree, Bobby. And, and the other thing is, you know, we were talking earlier about building relationships uh, with customers. Honestly, I think one of the reasons if, if I've had success in this business, it's because I'm, I love the relationships with customers, but I also have great relationships in the industry. And you got to work at those and you've got to yeah. put yourself out there at events to meet people and build those relationships. And, you know, I have a great friendship with Gene Geiger, for example, and, right. and we don't cross paths from a business point of view, but we're very good friends. And boy, oh boy, you can learn so much from people like that. And, uh, you know, that's where those events are wonderful. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let me see if we can get uh, Mark back here real quick. I'll dial him up and see. Um, but they, they, they are fantastic. And I, I always tell folks to go with the uh, 10, 10% rule in mind. You still there, Chuck? I'm here. Um, the 10% rule in mind is that folks go to events all too often and they kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater. But if you can walk away with one, 10% of something that's going to grow your business, uh, help you make you thousands of dollars or save you thousands of dollars, the whole event doesn't have to be a wash. There are just little parts of it that can be fantastic. Yeah, and, and go to those events with an open mind and energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me try, Mark, one more time here. See if we can get him. Hey, Mark, you there? Yeah, I'm here. What's okay. Do you have a? Uh, we're still live, Chuck. You still there? I'm still here. All right, we're oh, still God. live. Dude, what did a we moose? Can, uh, did we a can moose? edit that out. Yeah, did a moose chew through the electrical cord or something? Yeah, yeah, we're we're on a dial up here. Sorry, <laughs> it's uh, a little cold in my igloo. Sorry, it, uh, it's a little bit temperamental. The generator out back. It's I, unbelievable. I'm definitely not editing that out. That is staying in the podcast. So, Chuck, oh, yeah, we you got to keep it in. We just started talking about NA. We just finished talking about NALC, and uh, Chuck mentioned NALC. We talked about the benefits of going there. But Chuck, you mentioned something important that I think we can discuss. How important are supplier relationships to a distributor? That's a very open-ended question. But after a while, you begin to realize partnership really does exist in this business in a strong way. Um, how important are these relationships to you? I, I think they're just as important as your client relationships. I, I really do. I, I mean. You got to be able to have people that you can count on, that you've got relationships with, that you're invested with, they're invested in you. Um, you know, when you're in a jam, you need people you can trust from a social compliance and product safety point of view. I, I think they're huge. And if, if I could be the old guy for a second, I think people take them for granted. And I think technology sometimes forces people into that and and boy oh boy don't ignore those relationships that's some you know, solid advice 
Continuing on the, the trend of, of technology, Chuck, do you see anything in the technology universe that um, could improve the way that we interact with suppliers? Or do you feel that technology has driven a wedge between us and our vendors? And, and, and I mean, that could that's a bit open-ended question, but I, I'm doing that on purpose. But do you, I think to sum it up, I'm just interested in your view on how technology can play a role in you know, maybe helping this relationship going forward. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I was in a meeting earlier and talking about you know, just following up on orders. And uh, I was in a quarterly review. And uh, on average, uh, I think distributors are calling suppliers six times for every job. Did wow. you... Did you get my order? Right. Uh, three days later, is it still going to ship tomorrow? Did it ship tomorrow? How many shipped? So I think technology, common platform, and integration between suppliers and distributors would be huge in this industry. And I think we desperately need it. And I think we're desperately behind a lot of other industries. I know this was something that uh, Bobby and our one of our first calls we had uh, spoken to Eric at Essent about, and I know that he, uh, uh, I think um, they purchased order tracks a couple of years ago, and I think he was really excited about where that could go. and And I echo your your sentiments there, Chuck. That I think there's a lot of inefficiency and uh, a lot of costs that I think um, that could be eliminated if we were a little bit more efficient with how we interacted with our vendors. Yeah, I think there's a ton of order friction there, and you know the problem is there's there's 24,000 distributors and there's probably 22,000 different platforms that yeah. that's the, you know, what, what's the standard platform. And I know ASI and PPI have looked at it, but it, boy, that's a tough, it's a tough road, yeah. but wouldn't it be great if you could enter an order in, it went into the supplier system, you could see where it is, when it shipped, all that, the technology's there to do it, but how do we come together as a group to make it happen? I think there's, you know, a lot of uh, possibilities there. I remember this was something uh, that we talked about in a panel. I remember I was on a panel with uh, David Natinsky and uh, Jim Franklin last year at NALC, and we and we talked about this and and uh, you know the 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 idea of uh, suppliers making available their data through an API. As much as that would be wonderful for the technology providers in the group, uh, that's that's rare and there's not many suppliers that have done that or have made that investment so i think that there i think that friction will probably continue until there are some investments on both sides so i, I think we know what we need to do but it's uh i think it's a long road yeah and i mean just the the labor that both sides have to put in because of that lack of integration is huge we are getting close to wrapping up here, guys. So, Chuck, is there a topic that, or, or something that we didn't talk about that you wanted to discuss? Um, you know, I, I always like talking about uh, what's the industry look like in five years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I know that, uh, and, and if you don't mind, if I could flip the table, I'd like to ask you guys, Mark, you know, Mark sent out a questionnaire to me on another topic uh, last week, and he was asking about how old people were that were in our organization and leadership and things like that. Um, we're, you know, on the one hand, we've got a lot of young people. We've got a lot of people that are kind of graying in, in the sales force. You know, 
Mark or Bobby, where do you guys see the industry in five years? Is, is Does it look the same? Does it look radically different? Are there younger people, older people? Go ahead, Mark. I'll let you field first. You know, and I, I have no idea whether I'm right about this at all, but I uh, my here, here's my gut. I think that I, I've been, I, I was at the expo this past year uh, in Vegas. It was my 10th expo in a row. I was very proud of myself. I know it was Bobby's, uh, Bobby's 50th in a row, but, uh, you know, anyways, we, we right. talked about that. But, you know, nonetheless, I... Uh, I thought it was interesting that I, I see a shift in the demographic of this industry. And I really, I saw more young people. And maybe that's just what I was looking for, but I see more young people walking the aisles. Um, I see some interesting, vibrant conversations, which is really what Promo Kitchen was all about to celebrate that and to try to attract those people and those conversations. And so I think long story short, I see in the next five years a big turnover. I see a lot of people that are in their late 50s, early 60s that are looking to get out of the business and starting to transition. Um, I see that there, there are young people that are coming into the organization that will grow and get more sophisticated and mature. Um, I, I can certainly speak from my experience at Right Sleeve. We've got 20 people here. and. I am the second oldest in my company, sorry, third oldest in my company at 37. Uh, everyone else is younger than me. And that's interesting, you know, there's a lot of people that are a couple years out of school that are really keen, that love the industry, love being part of what we're doing. And, uh, and, and I don't think that we're necessarily the exception. I think we might have been the exception, maybe say five, six, seven years ago, but we're not as much the exception. And, and I'm excited about that. So I, I, I hope that trend continues because with new people in the industry, you just get fresh ideas and uh, you move things forward. And that's what we need. I am seeing that trend too, and again, like like you, Mark. I don't know. It's just that I that I'm looking for it, or you know, being involved in the promo kitchen community. Maybe that skews that way, anyways. But uh, I have seen that trend as well. Ten years ago, you would not. I don't think you would have seen as as uh, big a shift as you do now. And the good news about that too is these these folks. We know a few of them. Casey's one of them. They're bringing in different ideas on how to brand a distributorship and how to go to market, and that's kind of exciting. It actually makes us. It does make us all better because it makes us think a little bit more. And I also think five years from now, the reason why I'm really glad we're doing this technology podcast because Mark and I get to be the best students because we get to talk to people like Chuck, um, and we have to listen because we have to host it. So, anyways, <laughs> but, um, but but we get to listen to people like Chuck. And my my point is that uh, I think more distributors, and I, I can only speak really from the distributor standpoint. I'm sure this applies to suppliers. The technology is going to continue to create a gulf. And this has been a very fragmented industry, but as technology, uh, you know, grows and grows, I think those that make the heavy investments. Uh, sound heavy investments are going to create a gulf between it'll be the, ha the, the the people that have and the people that don't have and they'll be pulling away market share I think in the, in the future I do as well now you know what I do have one more question for Chuck I, I, I you're going to kill me here Bobby but no, since no, no. I, I, I my, my, my call got uh, dropped and uh, the the question that I was that I was in the midst of asking and was one that we we were talking to Dale Denham at Geiger about a couple of days or sorry yesterday 
Uh, it's, it's about what e-commerce looks like in the next three to five years. And I think that we all agree, and every podcast that we've, we've conducted, Bobby, I think everyone has agreed that e-commerce is going to play a pivotal role in our industry in the next three to five years. And those that aren't jumping on the bandwagon are going to be in trouble. Uh, Chuck, I'm fascinated, given your deep experience in the technology side at Facilis, what does e-commerce mean to you specifically after we've discussed Bug, which is a brilliant system. It's a great way of uh, uh, going through budget and event type and, and product types and really speaking the client's language. But do you feel that you need e-commerce to really complete the, the, uh, the, the picture or is what you're doing right now, are you finding that you're, you're getting great enough results that you don't need to invest in that e-commerce shopping cart Amazon style to complete the picture? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, certainly, obviously, on the program side, e-commerce is 100% of the business on what I would call the dropship or special yeah. order side, the more traditional business. I think that's the gulf you kind of, or Bobby was just mentioning, um, you know, where where are we going with that? Are, are we going to a straight e-commerce where salespeople aren't as prevalent and relationships aren't in, as important and people can upload their artwork, place it, do everything online, and then place their order? Um, or is the salesperson model without e-commerce uh, the better solution? And I think like most things, the answer is going to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I think that once a customer is established and knows their preferences, they may use straight e-commerce. But I think salespeople are going to need at strategic points uh, to jump into that relationship that I certainly hope we don't go all e-commerce. I think there's a play for it, but there's a lot of salespeople that are supported in this industry by those relationships. So I think I think the good distributors are going to have both options would be my short yeah. answer. Yep. I don't know. What, what, what do you think? I think you're right. I, uh, I, what I struggle with, and, you know, I think that uh, I... We, I mean, our experience at, at, at Right Sleeve is really the best one that I can speak to, that we have created um, an e-commerce shopping cart, upload artwork, and that's great for our clients, checking orders, all that, all that sort of basic stuff, right? Right. And what, what we, and when we built that or the first version of that, say, five, six years ago, we thought that it would change everything and that uh, that it would it would bring all sorts of business to our door and it did but I thought that it would fundamentally change how our customers related to us and I and and I thought that the phones would stop ringing I thought there'd be no need to go out and meet directly with customers and that they would just be transacting online all day long uh, and this is the the custom custom order special uh, um, special order stuff not not the not the company store stuff and it it's been somewhere in between. I mean, there are some of those customers that love to transact online, but we get so many customers, and this is why I asked you about the bug, uh, your bug system. So many customers will use our site for product search, and they'll check pricing, and they'll check their order history. But after they've maybe built a wish list, they then want 
us to do the work. They want us to tell them the difference between a heat transfer and embroidery. They want to know whether their logo will look good on this pen versus that pen. They want to know how... Uh, what kind of merchandise collection we're going to design for their product launch because they don't want to do that all online. They want to do, I would say, about 60% of it online and then the rest they want us to handle the rest of. And that surprised me. And um, and so we've really built out the organization to support that from, from the standpoint of having really great account managers that understand technology but at the same time are also really good at holding the customer's hand. So uh, yeah. that's that's my answer. Yeah, I- I, I think you nailed it. And I mean, I think for our industry, it's kind of the adjusted Warren Buffett quote that relationships always matter. Yeah. Um, but but that doesn't necessarily mean it's just old school and I meet all my customers in a bar or take them out to lunch or play golf and or I'm just technology and I don't talk to them. Good relationships use the best tools and and whether those that social media, the phone, face-to-face technology and look, we exist in this industry because of the imprint and the value we add to the imprint and how it's applied. That's why yep. we exist as an industry. Yeah. Yep. I think there's a new evaluation coming too with technology. We've been having this conversation in house about the retail side of our business, and not the program business, because we're very comfortable with e-commerce and program business. But on the retail side, we have to keep reminding ourselves that we may not be able to evaluate our investments solely off the transactions that are completed in a shopping cart because now customers, and I think new clients new and prospects will assess a business, a distributor, and the time is coming where technology will be one of those very important factors. Can I get on the site if I need to so I can search for a product? I'd prefer to call them, but they, they need to have these kinds of capabilities. Yeah, and, and I think at the end of the day, a, a distributor who's phenomenal at relationships and a big reason for that is their understanding and use of technology are going to be successful. Yep. Well, guys, uh, Chuck, this has been an honor. We're really glad to have you uh, on the program. Thanks. I, I enjoyed it. Can I give you guys one music recommendation? Yeah, yeah please do. We, we were talking last week. I, I, um, I've been listening to The Clash live at Chase Stadium from 1976. Awesome. So wow. check it out. Check it out. I will check it out. We we yeah, we got in a great conversation about the band and Levon Helm and uh, what a loss that 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 man that guy. He's just brilliant, absolutely yeah. brilliant. Great band. And, and as I told you guys, I'm really hooked on Spotify because I'm just and, yeah. and I'm going all albums. I don't listen to songs. I just listen to a whole album. That's I love fantastic. it. Fantastic. I know. But but that's the way it's supposed to be done, and I, and that's good because with Spotify you can just listen to the track. So I, I, I it's good to know you're doing that, Chuck. Because yeah, well, that's, that's the way I grew up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot of monkey the eight tracks, or the you know the the. <laughs> <laughs> it was eight tracks back then, wasn't it, Chuck? Uh, there were, yeah, but those things were indestructible. They were. My, my, we're getting way off base, but my first was Urban Cowboy. That shows you what part of the country I'm from is an eight track of Urban Cowboy. Well, guys, uh, thanks again for the time. Any any final words? No, I, I loved it. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it, and I think I'll see you both in New York maybe in a couple weeks. All right, Mark. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and we and Chuck, we do have to have you back. I mean, this, yeah, absolutely. This, uh, this is phenomenal, and, uh, and you know, we have to get you back so you can tell us how you did on that RFP. So yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> All right, guys, y'all thanks, take care guys. of yourself. All right. All right, take care. Bye. See ya. Bye bye.